got me questioning that. It had me questioning that all week. Before we get into the case, I just want to say thank you guys for fucking with us, giving us a try. Me and my bestie really love like true crime and all things spooky. So we decided to make a podcast. Again, thank you guys for listening. Let us know how you like it or if you like it. Bestie, you got anything you want to say, you know? Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm re- This is our first episode, and I'm so excited. Okay, so we did the episode earlier this week. We realized that we had higher ex. We had we believed in ourselves a little more than we should. Girl, we went in there thinking <laughs> we were gonna get it and lay it, put it down and flip <laughs> it, and-, <laughs> and it was it was all right, kind of, not really. It was it was a little rough. We actually just got back from a 10-minute break. We just went over everything from start to finish for like two hours. So we, we're putting in the work. We are. We are. And I swear it's so much better than what we <laughs> had. So yeah, Bestie, what makes you question, are you in hell this week? Well, as you know, I've been in a Tinder correspondence. Ooh, Tinder guy. <laughs> Tinder man and uh got stood up again. This is twice. Not again. Yeah. Not again. No. My soul. It's crushed. Fucking man. <laughs> Thing is though, like you know me. I'm an introvert. So like, yeah, I kind of wanted to go on a date and I got my nails did, but also a night by myself. Oh, how terrible. I know. So it was like either way. So why do you think you're in hell this week, best friend? Well, the world. <laughs> Let's talk about that for like two seconds. There's like, you was telling me a story about the fucking, because in my little small bubble, for some reason, I thought the murder hornets was like so far away from us. And your dad <laughs> killed one the other day. That's scary as shit. They're back. <laughs> fucking corona is coming stronger than ever i swear that motherfucker regrouped and came back with guns this time around a lot of people aren't taking it as serious as you supposed to or as uh, i don't know i was one of those people and i still don't wear my mask as much as i should but i did get vaccinated best friend i shot the hell out of my best friend by the way i made you show me your card yes i literally had to send a picture to her (laughs) to prove it yeah that that really got me questioning like where, or am I in hell? <laughs> so you were talking about being vaccinated, and since you brought it up, because I know, like, sometimes I get political, um, but... Sometimes? <laughs> Only sometimes? <laughs> Please get vaccinated. I'm so glad we got that recorded. You know, sometimes I can... <laughs> Yeah, just, but anyways, uh, I'm always political. Please get vaccinated because there are more people in the hospital now this August than there were last August with COVID in ICUs and they're filling up and it's really unnecessary because we have a vaccine that will protect you. So please get vaccinated, please. Get vaccinated, motherfuckers. Motherfuckers. I'm sorry. I feel like no, you're good. I love yours. <laughs> every time you say it, I feel like I have to hype it up some. <laughs> what are best friends for? <laughs> but yeah, and another thing that got me questioning, 
am I in hell? Is this fucking case? The Powell family. A lot of people may know it as the Susan Powell case. We're naming it the Powell family case because a lot of times people forget about the boys. People forget that it was a whole family. Yeah, jump on in there. I'll just start with Susan Powell. There wasn't a lot to say. Susan Cox was born on October 16th, 1981. I'm assuming there's not much to say because she had like a pretty happy, normal family. It seems like her family really cared about her and they're very supportive of her. And they also belong to the LDS church, which are Mormons. I'm, I don't I don't know what to tell you about Mormons. I just know like the bare minimum. Josh, he was born on January 7th, 1976. His whole upbringing was already wrong. His mom, Terry, and his dad, Steve, his dad is a fucking freak. And you will find An asshole. That. Yes. Weirdo. Yes. They had a terrible relationship. They wanted to get divorced, but they also were a part of the Mormon church. And can you hear that? A little bit. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Um, Stop. Now she's attacking. Terry and Steve did not have a great relationship. There was abuse. There's a lot of arguing going on because Steve did not really like the Mormon church. And Terry um, was pretty involved and, and like believed in it and practiced it. And there was a lot of arguments over religion. He always like fought, wanted to fight about it and, and whatever. So, and Terry was pretty strong in her faith. Part of Mormon faith is you cannot get a divorce ever. Like you are married to somebody until they die. Terry finally decided she wanted a divorce. Like she needed one because he, she was not having it with Steve anymore. So in the middle of this, Terry has a contract for Josh to sign, and it's a contract of rules for her house. Basically, at this point, and this is part of their marital problems, was that Steve used to just egg the boys on to do whatever they wanted. So Josh had kind of gotten this like very narcissistic personality So much so that like he would find girls of interest and even if they didn't reciprocate, he would still pursue them. Terry put in this contract that he wasn't allowed to talk to this girl that he'd been harassing. Josh was probably, I want to say he was like 16. He was an older teenager. So they get divorced. The divorce is ugly. Steve is basically telling the courts that Terry is this religious fanatic. She's unstable she's mentally ill blah 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 and jennifer saint jennifer the hero of the story she is like nope my dad is the one that's crazy he has problems you should not let any children live with him so in the end terry ends up getting custody of the two younger children and then josh and his sister his other sister and his brother michael is it Elena? I don't know how to say her name. I think it's Elena. Elena was his sister that went to live with Steve. So even after they got this divorce, he also would pick up the kids that he did not have custody of out of school and take them home or wherever he was going. And Terry was like, you need to stop. You cannot do that. And Steve was like, best friend, tell me, tell me if you ever played this game growing up. Cause I didn't, my parents are divorced 
and we didn't play this game. What game? Steve's parents, when they got divorced, they played a game where they would take turns picking up the kids and taking them somewhere to see how long it would take the other parent to find them. Oh, yeah, that was called Hide a Kid. We played it every Saturday. Every Saturday. It was called Hide a Kid. I I guess my family wasn't into that game. (laughs) It sounds a little traumatic. Just a little bit, but you live, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And and this, like, you kind of, you know the story. So, like, that kind of foreshadows, like, some of the fuckery that goes on later, you know? Right. Even when you were saying how josh tends to fall for girls be on girls that really isn't feeling him that the apple doesn't fall far from the fucking tree oh damn yes talk about foreshadowing (laughs) right so there's some accounts that steve would actually watch porn with his children yes i don't remember exactly do you know more about that i do i remember it was this one time that jennifer the beast jennifer was uh with her dad in the hotel room and she remembers him watching porn they had like two bags in the hotel room but he's watching porn in the room with his daughter like steve was a weirdo And there was just one other tidbit. I thought it was kind of important, but Josh did try to complete suicide when he was 14. I feel like that kind of tells you like where he's at in his head. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to do when you're 14. Right. So fast forward, Josh graduates high school and he goes to Pierce College. Um, I believe this is in Utah. And he, he, Josh, he gets to school. And he buys himself a motorcycle and a fucking leather jacket. Yes, leather jacket Josh. <laughs> yes, mid-90s. He is rocking it with his leather jacket. Um, as he's staying there and going to college, he starts to realize that living with his dad wasn't very great. His dad likes to put him down. He's not very nice. He's like, wow, being away from home is kind of great. So this is one relationship and I just wanted to give a snippet because I think it's really telling whenever we learn about more things but he ends up meeting this woman named Catherine and they dated and they eventually moved in together get this Ryan he spent thousands of dollars on stuff for their apartment when he ran out of credit guess whose credit cards he used whose Catherine's because of course You know, that's what we do. We wreck our credit and then we start wrecking everybody else's. And where I got that, they said that she still has that that debt to this day. Damn. And they they ended up breaking up. There are other girls that he like would have these infatuations with and sometimes they didn't reciprocate and he would just continue. One thing I left out was actually both Josh and Susan had kept journals for a very long time, like since they were teenagers. Susan's family encouraged her to because they thought that was good for a girl to be able to like write down all their thoughts. He ends up moving back in with his dad after him and Catherine break up. This didn't go well because Steve is a douchebag motherfucker. He moves to Tacoma, Washington into his own apartment. He meets Susan. At this time, Susan's 19 and he's probably like 24-ish. 25, 23, somewhere around there. Josh's broke ass starts hosting these dinner parties. Josh really likes to put on a show. He likes to show that he has nice things. 
He likes to have nice things. That's why he bought a motorcycle and a fucking leather jacket. He wants to put on airs, but he's broke as shit. Like he's in so much debt. He's been going into debt for a long time. But of course he needs to continue putting on the show. So he starts hosting these dinner parties. And of course he invites Susan. And after dinner, she helps him with the dishes and they kiss that night. And I thought, that is so cute. And I bet Susan thought that was the sweetest. And my goodness, if this story didn't turn out the way it did, it it would have been a really sweet first meeting story for your children. Their first official date was November 11th, 2000. And they already had already done start talking about marriage best friend he proposed so their their um their first date was november 11th 2000 he proposed on january 5th 2001 listen to this best friend because <laughs> this is some shit this is some josh powell fucking shit he came to her work and asked her to help him pick out a ring for his mom and if she if she could put it on her credit don't tell me this is her ring oh this is her ring baby this is her ring (laughs) that she bought for herself oh my god yes so so yes also like imagine what susan's thinking like i don't know is it is it weird to buy your mom a ring yes (laughs) i think it is I couldn't imagine being Susan like, wow, this is strange, but I guess it's really nice because like he's buying his mom a present. <laughs> and why is it going on my credit? Um, that is so fucked up. I did not know that. So they married on April 6th, 2001. And- yes, and Susan family was not here for it at all. They was only dating for how long, Dusty? It was like, like two months. Yes, and like <laughs> and they was already getting married her family was not here for it at all yeah and then bestie i know that i just like i i tried to surprise you with some of my notes and there was a bunch of stuff in there you probably hadn't heard about so like what about his college years you know what i'm saying like the motorcycle and then the girls Oh, you're talking about the leather jacket, Josh? <laughs> yes, leather jacket, Josh. I bet you he was. Sucking. Oh hell yeah, he was. He was very on to himself. He thought he was the she's knees, <laughs> <laughs> for real. Like, and and I'm pretty sure that has a lot to do with his upbringing. Like his his father, like making him, or like the way his father used to treat him. So yeah, of course, a little bit of that is gonna like rub off on Josh. Yeah. Yeah, because his his dad, the more, like, when I learned about some of his backstory, I I was like, wow, this makes so much sense, because this is exactly how his dad is. Right. Josh, uh, all this time that, you know, they, they were dating, and then they got married, Josh um, was still living in that apartment where he had met Susan, but because he was broke ass in a bunch of debt, um, he ended up getting evicted in 2002, about nine months after they were married. <laughs> and who did they move in with? None other than Steve fucking Powell. 
they they slept in the living room with like they have like curtains up to give them some privacy and i'm sure steve was all about that oh yeah he was creeping like a motherfucker (laughs) i know so steve is always videotaping her and trying to watch her undress and just being all around creepy because that's steve so susan she wants out of there and susan because she's a boss ass bitch at her job she gets a raise and they move out um oh and by the way josh is not working um this whole time because he's still in school he's in business school um he started at that uh school up in utah and then he quit that school and he went to another school and then he quit that school and now he's at this business school in Washington. He graduates from business school and Susan's like, fuck yeah, he's got a whole ass business degree. He's about to get a job and we're going to be able to get a house and, and it's going to be nice. But the thing is, Josh can't hold down a job. No job is good enough for him and it's not him, it's them. And oh, of course. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's always them. And he, like, goes to truck driver school. And, and when he finally gets his first rig and he's ready to drive, Susan and Steve come to see them off. After he leaves, Stephen offers to give Susan a ride home. Stephen and Susan over and over again is hard to do. Stephen offers to give Susan a ride home. And he, of course, had his camcorder at the ready because he always has it, especially when Susan's around. And he puts the camcorder in the car to record the conversation. And Steve basically, like, professes his love to her. Susan is like, um, I am your daughter-in-law. I'm married to your son. Like, this is weird. No, thank you. I don't want any part of this. Right. Yeah, but this is Steve we're talking about. (laughs) Fucking Steve, man. While they were living there, now I talked about how Susan had journals. Steve had made photocopies of Susan's journals. So he had copies for his own use. December 2003, they moved to Utah and buy a home. Part of the reason why they went to Utah was get the fuck away from Steve. They had Charlie in 2005. Susan, like, she really wanted to be a mom and a, and a wife, and she was happy to have Charlie. <laughs> while she was in labor, Josh was chilling on his computer in the hospital while she's, like, in fucking labor. And at some point, Susan's father came over to him and closed his laptop and was like, I need you to be here for your wife right now. That's pretty telling. Brayden was born in 2007, so they had two children. Eventually, they stopped having sex. They stopped having sex for like a year. That really bothered Susan because she just wanted to be like husband and wife. Josh, he wasn't working again this whole time. Truck driving obviously didn't work out for him because it probably was, he was too good for it. So he lost the job again. He wasn't working. And while he was home all day, he would read through Susan's journals. He, at one point, got pissed at her for something she had wrote in her journal in high school about another man, an- another guy, kid. What the fuck? 
I know. That'd be like you're like laying there with your partner and then <laughs> they randomly getting mad over a Facebook post you posted two years ago. Yes, like with your ex or something, and you're like, no, I don't want them. <laughs> like, I'm here with you. Josh became more controlling. He wouldn't let her drive to work. And if he didn't drive her, she would just ride her bike for 15 miles to work. She didn't get any of the access to the money that she fucking made because he does not have a job. So any money in that house is fucking Susan. In 2009, their relationship wasn't very good. And then in February 2009, Josh had her or she chose to i mean i guess he didn't make her but they went to a lawyer and they had signed some papers about if she were to die josh would be able to have full control over her assets he was going he had the ability to take her dad off as a trustee why susan signed this paper who the fuck knows because as you'll see later she had started making her own plans to try to get out in march 2009 she had talked to a friend and said if josh didn't make any changes she was going to leave but of course josh made like just the bare minimum of change to make her like they always do oh i need to change let me like fill out one job up he just made enough change to make her feel like things were going to change and that's as much as it got and bestie take it from here because you're about to get into the dirty dirty (laughs) (laughs) okay all right so um yeah like you were saying uh he was controlling all the money that she was making bringing into the house um she couldn't even drive at this point even though things was rocky uh with susan being a mormon and whatnot she didn't want to leave like she didn't want to break up her family so she tried to make it work but of course like you said things got better at first and slowly went right back into the same old bullshit the typical josh uh being controlling and whatnot so yeah around this time uh susan was asking her family uh what her legal options were and this is where she makes like the infamous video um I bestie, I know you've seen this video. It's so fucking like, uh, it's, it's sad. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. In the video, she talks about like, um, well, the video is basically made if anything was to happen to her or the family that like she have a video recording of all the assets in the house. And even in the video, do you remember the quote? It's right here. She said, she said two things that I noted. She said, Josh bought a lot of stuff and then he had to bankrupt it. And then he bought a little bit more on my credit. On her credit. Like he always do. Yes. The other thing she said, so like the shit that he was buying was like power tools and computer parts and stuff like that. Because a ton of computer parts he would want to make um do like home improvements in the house and he would buy all these power tools and they were so she also said i had to help him all the way he doesn't do the projects by himself did you have you seen any of his home improvement videos because they made videos you know this family (laughs) used to record everything they actually made videos i've seen a couple after Steve was done, like, taking a video of Susan taking a shit, like, he went outside and did fucking Josh's home improvement YouTube videos. <laughs> yes, they actually had, like, where Steve was, like, 
describing how to like put up different things in the house and like how to make different things but meanwhile it's like they're like videotaping josh describing it and then they cut the video and susan does all the work and then they turn it back on (laughs) right or she's trying to figure out how she's going to pay for this video camera that they're using (laughs) or the tools that she now has on her credit yes in that video she was like basically she was just showing her assets for if she decided to leave him and he had like three circular saws like that's an expense I don't know maybe I don't know how much a circular saw is but I imagine that unless you have like a construction company you wouldn't need more than one circular saw Exactly. Around this time, Josh and Susan used to argue and Susan's sister overheard Josh saying one time, and this is very foreshadowing, if she was to try to leave him, it'd be over his dead body. Or if she tried to take the kids away from him, it'd be over his dead body. Like, red fucking flag. (laughs) Red fucking flag. I've never said that to somebody like over my dead body, but it it sounds like sort of an innocent enough statement if if there was none of these other red flags. Right. No, I get exactly what you mean. And I don't think I ever said that either. (laughs) If you want to leave me, leave, (laughs) please. (laughs) So yeah, moving on to December 7th, 2009, Terry, Josh's mother calls 911 because nobody can get up with the family. The boys are missing, Susan is missing, and even Josh is missing. Even um, the daycare where Charlie and Brayden go, the lady couldn't get up with, I don't want to say the lady, even where Charlie and Brayden goes to daycare, they wasn't able to find the boys, which was strange. Yeah, in fact, Debbie, Debbie was the name of the I'm just going to say daycare lady. <laughs> I don't know what the official title is, but she was Me the either. daycare lady. <laughs> the lady at the daycare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, uh, she tried to call uh, the Powell home because, okay, we're going to, we're going to get more into detail, like about what Josh says happened. And mind you, this is a Monday morning. Like it didn't occur to me that this was a Monday morning. Debbie, Debbie, the daycare lady. She calls the Powell home because she's like, oh, that's strange. Like, the kids aren't here, and nobody told me they weren't going to be here. No answer. She calls Susan's office phone. No answer. She calls Josh's work because I guess he got a job now. <laughs> and, and they said he didn't come in. So she had to take some kids to, to school, drop them off at school, um, and she decided she wanted to drop by the Powell home on the way back. So she goes up there and it had snowed that night or that morning or whatever. And she, and she pulls in and she notices there's no tracks anywhere. So it doesn't look like anybody had left or, you know, like there's been any movement recently. Um, and she goes and nobody comes to the door. And so she um, calls Susan's emergency contact, who is none other then jennifer the queen the boss ass babe the one and only the hero of the story i can't say it enough jennifer's always like the badass sorry sorry i went on a tangent Um, yeah you're good (laughs) jennifer comes over on her way over she calls her mom josh's mom terry and on 
as Terry's driving over, she calls 911, and that's at 9.53 in the morning. The police are there by 10.02. Yes, they were, they was not playing in this case. No. When the police gets to... <laughs> When they get when the police gets to the house, they break in at eleven thirty with the permission of Josh's family, and immediately the cops noticed two things that was a little off to them. Um, for one, they noticed that there was two box fans pointed in the direction of a couch which was wet, um, and they also noticed that uh, her the van in uh, Susan's purse with her money and everything was still in like inside the house plus the stereo was on um and the night before there was like you said there was uh fresh snow on the ground and there was no trace uh, no tracks leading like in or out of the house and jennifer like she's already like nope something's up like she's already like my brother did something to my sister-in-law His own sister was like, my brother has something to do with this early in the game. Yes, like that tells you a lot. Early afternoon, Detective Alex Maxwell, he was a detective on the case, um, wanted to, of course, figure out who was the last people who seen the Powell family. And that was Susan's friend, Giovanna Owens. Um, Miss Owens was the last uh, Miss Owens came over the night before. Miss Owens came over that night and she said she remembered that night because, well, she remembers that Josh was cooking pancakes that night, I believe. She also remembers that Susan wasn't feeling that well. Miss Owens ended up leaving at like 5.30 that night, but she said it was very weird because Josh was kind of like rushing her out of the house. She she was the first one to get a hold of him. It had been like hours and hours, right, best friend? Right. And like the last time anybody saw them was 5:30. It's now at least like I don't know, like one, two o'clock the next day. Mrs. Owens calls them and, and he picks up. Now, mind you, they had tried calling his phone before and he had not, it wasn't on, he wasn't answering. Um, and she says, you know, they're all worried. He says he's on the Pony Express and that he'll be home soon. He then calls his sister, Jennifer, and when she realizes that he has the boys, but Susan isn't there, she asks him where she is, and he says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where she is. Why are you asking? Um, she she's tells just him, my wife. I don't <laughs> yeah. know where she is. I don't know what she does with her life. She tells him that she will meet him at his house. Um, and the detective tries calling him. So when she, so um, yeah, so the detective tries calling him and he doesn't answer. So Jennifer calls him again, and when he picks up, she hands the phone to the detective. <laughs> Jennifer, the beast. <laughs> She's the best. Um, the detective tries calling. Oh, my bad. The detective says he needs to get there. And Josh is like, I got to feed my kids. He starts like telling the kids in the back, like, hey, you you want pizza or like McDonald's? (laughs) They're like, you need to get home, Josh. Um, Your wife is still missing. (laughs) Yes. Like, why are you so, uh, why do you not care? 
Um, so they finally pull up and he, this, I found this little snippet and I could not wait to tell you because it's so ridiculous. They pull up and Josh is sitting in his car. The detective walks up to him and he said, I'm sorry. I didn't answer when you called before. I turned my phone off while we were camping um, because I didn't have a charger and I needed to conserve my battery. But Hold on, best friend. Girl, I think I, I, I think I know where you're about to go. I think I do know this. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you <laughs> off, but bitch, bitch, go ahead. But, but <laughs> Detective Maxwell noticed that the phone that he had in his hand was plugged into a charger in a the charger. car. <laughs> a charger in the car. How dumb. What? What? <laughs> in the car. On the char- In his hand. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I, I'm not condoning murdering somebody, but you better practice your lying a little bit more. Like, come on, man. Like, oh, I didn't have a charge. Oh, that charger. <laughs> like, what? Uh, yeah, well, I didn't have it earlier. Like, he could have even, like, he could have even tried to cover his ass by being like, oh, well, I bought this on the way back because my battery was so low. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Right. Not that Not that we're trying to create the perfect murderer or anything. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just saying, be a little smarter. <laughs> so around this time... Detective Alex uh, tells Josh, of course, we got to speak to you. Like, can you come down to the uh, police station? And he does. And um, this is like one of the most cringe-worthy fucking interviews I ever watched. Like, it, it was almost like over three hours long. And it was just like Josh going not giving them anything right i know you've seen the interview bestie yeah. like josh was literally like i think at one point they asked him like well where do you think she'd go if she wouldn't go home and he was like i think she'd go to work like she <laughs> I, I think she'll go to work. we know she's not at work you know what i'm saying he was like literally not giving them anything and he doesn't even seem to me I, I know people like grieve and uh feel different but to me looking at him he doesn't even look worried or concerned about his wife at all yeah no well that's the other thing is like he doesn't even try to put on an air of like he just tries to act really 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 calm about the whole thing and it's like yep. you you could have tried a little bit to seem a little more upset you know yeah and didn't he like not go straight to the to the police station? Like he kind of lollygagged around. Like he stopped. Didn't he like stop at her work? Yeah, he didn't go uh, straight there. He like he drove. Uh, he drove like twenty minutes away, and then he like called her phone, and then he drove to her job and called her phone. All because all before coming straight home to like find out what happened to his missing wife. Or where his wife is. No, no, no. I mean, from her house, from their house to the police station. Didn't he do all that shit on the way to the police station? I thought he did that before, but I'm oh, not maybe sure. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. I, think I he thought did. he did all of that before. You're you're probably right. I I probably before did. he even got to the house. That's that's why when you was like he's already at the house, I skipped all of that. 
okay. because he was already in the house. Okay. Yeah. So while he was on his way back to, oh yeah, I remember he was like asking his kids about like what they wanted to eat, and then like you said, yeah, during that time, that's when yeah. he did all of the calling and stuff. Yeah. All right, all right, my bad, best friend, my bad. No, you good. I, I was like, he's already, he's already there. All right, I know where to keep. <laughs> I was there. I, I was like, all right. <laughs> so, but, um, so yeah, they, they have the interview, and I don't really understand because they searched his car twice, and the first time was during that first interview for that three hours, and right. he, he. <laughs> best friend i want to read what they found in his car that first that day that first interview they found a blue tarp a shovel a rake a broom a humidifier a tote of camping equipment but no tent a box cutter a gas can a regular saw a circular saw a generator and an extension cord a box of gloves and Susan's phone, which he said he didn't have, with the SIM card removed. Um, when the cops asked him about the phone, because they had already asked him about the phone, he told them, oh, he borrowed it the day before and must have forgotten that he put it in the car. Lock him the fuck up. What? <laughs> Just off of what he had in his car. Lock him up. And did they not, did they forget that he was calling this phone on his way to the house? The phone that he had the whole time using his phone that didn't have a charger but was on the charger. Lock him up. Yep. Yep. I still this like I don't understand. I don't understand how the law works where, like, he had two different saws and, like, gas, a shovel. Like, what? <laughs> he had a whole murdering kit in his fucking car. Yes. A whole murdering kit. Just yes. like he... I'm so confused. Oh, my God. Um... So, yeah. So yeah, at this at this time, the cops they do take his phone. They don't lock him up, but they do take his phone and they told him to come in tomorrow at nine o'clock, nine a.m. to be exact, for a formal interview. At this point, he's still not detained. He's able to leave and everything. And <laughs> the crazy thing is, the uh, the day of the meeting, he shows up four hours late. But uh, Bessie, I would love for you to tell them why he was late. And we have the the goddess Jen again to thank for this, you know. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer, she was like, I will like watch the kids while you go do the interview. And when she gets to the house, he's like leisurely cleaning up, like just cleaning his house, <laughs> doing laundry, mind you. Susan is missing and his house that had the box fans pointed to the couch and like a weird scene in general they just let him go home to his house which is probably a murder scene yes so he can clean it the fuck up as he did as he did you know like 
sorry I was four hours late. I was busy cleaning up the murder scene that I don't want you to see. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's all right. Go ahead. <laughs> this is your get out of jail free card, motherfucker. Use it. And damn if he didn't. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I also want to say during the interview, they also asked him, of course, they asked him, like, if she has any enemies or, like, if she's, like, uh, ever saying anything about, like, suicide or does he feel like she's suicidal? And, of course, he jumps over all of that, gives them a list of enemies she may have. And, of course, she had thoughts of suicidal. I mean, of course, she has suicidal thoughts, like, anything to get you know, the blame off of him, which wasn't true. Like, from everything that I hear, she was very loving and very into church. Everybody loved her. Yeah, I can, I, it, it makes me laugh to hear that she had enemies because, like, you even, again, like, you don't know how people really are, but you see her picture and she just seems like a, just a sweet person. Yeah, she really does. Even in the videos, because they had tons of videos, even in the videos, she seems so nice and yeah. upbeat, you know? Yeah. But don't worry, because Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer has Susan's back. So she volunteered to take the kids while Josh was cleaning up the murder scene and then going to his interview. And she had a plan. She took them to the Children's Juvenile Justice Center to be interviewed. Um, to yes, have... she did, like a beast. Yes, like she, she knew what she was doing. She's like, don't worry, Josh, I'll watch the kids, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so they get interviewed, um, and Charlie, when asked if Susan had came with them camping, he said yes, and he said she didn't come back, but one quote was, my mom's, my mom is where the crystals are. Which is really fucking freaky because near where Josh and them went camping was a geode bed, which could look like crystals. Especially to a child. Especially, yes. And like, exactly. He knew exactly what the fuck he was talking about. And, and they did put in the caveat, and, and I guess I should say it too, because every video I watched said it, like, children, the way their, like, developmental brain is, they, uh -huh. he could be, because they had gone camping there a year before as a family, um, he could be melding, like, different memories together, like, that is possible. Right. Um, but... I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I feel like, you know, yeah. He knew what he was talking about. He knew, he knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. So, in the meantime, Josh is sitting there with the police, and he had told the police he wanted to leave, and they were kind of trying to get him to stay, and he was trying to get out of there, because they, at this point, had read him his Miranda rights, so he didn't want anything to be used against him in a court. Right. Um, so the police find out what Charlie had said, and then they're like, oh, no, now you can't leave. Um, and Josh says, 
Uh, and they say, you know, this is what Charlie said. He said, mom is where the crystals are, that he, she came with you camping. Josh said, well, if he said that, it's not true. And then the cops are so done with his bullshit. They were like, so you're calling your son a liar? And then Josh like recants and he's like, well, it's not true. But I guess if he said she was there, then I guess she's somewhere on the Pony Express. Answer. Boom. <laughs> like, come on. What the fuck? And just to clarify, because I was confused the first time I heard it, the Pony Express is like the trail or whatever that they went camping it, on. Exactly. I was just about to say that. The trail that they were on. Like... Because <sighs> the first time yeah, I he... heard it, I was like, what the fuck is the Pony Express? Like, what does that I'm mean? I'm not going to lie. I said the same thing when I first <laughs> She really missed insight now. <laughs> she's on the Pony Express. She's in another dimension. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So um <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that other dimension threw me, girl. Um <sighs> okay. So at the end of the interview, they tell Josh that they got a search warrant for his car in his home, and they just wanted him to, like, sit in the waiting room. I think his car only had, like, 15 more minutes before they was going to release it back to him. They wasn't holding him. They just wanted him, you know, they, they had his car. So instead of waiting, Josh goes, uh, he gets a cab, I believe, to from the police station <laughs> to the airport. He rents a car, and to this day, we don't know what he did, but we do know that he put over 800 miles on this car, and he was gone for 20 hours. Nobody was able to get up with him um, for a whole God. 20 hours. Yes, on, yes, Bestie. Oh. Let's, let, what, I'm going to put in, we went to Nashville, right? Mm-hmm. From your house like how far is nashville how many miles is nashville Ooh. well let me know on my phone hold on no i i'm looking it up because okay nashville oh how long did it take you to get there from from where you're at in north carolina uh it took me like one of like eight hours yeah the like eight nine hours that was a six mm -hmm. 600 over 600 miles so he went 200 or 200 more miles in 20 hours damn that really puts it in perspective because i drove for like nine hours almost yes so he, drove he for like literally could have he literally could have went anywhere you know what i'm saying like exactly God damn it! I swear. Until you said it like that, it didn't. It it, it didn't seem as long <laughs> as the fuck it is. Like, yeah, he put some miles on this damn car. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you the, uh, yes. the rental place was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. And oh, I also want to point out that during this time, his fucking asshole of a father, Steve was unaccounted for. He didn't even show up to work and his phone was not on the entire time his son was gone during these 20 hours. 
it's just Josh and Steve, man. You know how they do. Yeah. They're just weird guys. Cruise in uh, America. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you. We, we had a long day after the cops questioned us because nobody knows where Susan is. So we went for a ride, a road trip. Right, exactly. So around this time, they uh, the cops start to learn how close Josh and his asshole of a father is, and they decided to interview Steve. And this is where shit gets really, really fucking creepy. This motherfucker Steve tells them, tells the cops how Susan craved his attention, and uh, he had strong feelings for Susan. Like every time I say that, I think about the song. We we don't talk about the song enough, no. but we're gonna get to that you later. Mean, I just didn't want us to forget about the song. <laughs> I wonder if I can find it. Go ahead. I'm gonna see if I can. Oh yes, it. you gotta see if you can find it. Definitely. I just didn't want us to uh, forget. Uh, but yeah, like I said, this motherfucker Steve tells them how Susan has strong feelings for him and. Just like a bunch of weird shit coming, I mean, due to the fact that this is her fucking stepfather. Wouldn't it be her stepfather? No, her father-in-law. Because, damn, that show, that goes to show you how many married people I know. <laughs> but, yeah, like, in skipping ahead a little bit, um, the cops also finds out about Michael, um, Josh's younger brother, recently had his car demolished and he could have easily got his car fixed but instead he got it demolished bitch like completely destroyed and that kind of was like hmm to the cops like why will you do that so they brought cadaver dogs out to like sniff around the car and see if they can find any signs of decomp and of course they do um so yeah Michael, um, oh yeah, and just to speed it up a little bit, um, they they do believe that Michael, well, they did believe back then that Michael had something to do with um, Susan's death, but unfortunately, June of 2013, Michael committed suicide, which kind of further makes you think he has something to do with the fucking, uh, with Susan going missing, kind of weird especially after the demolition of his car yeah i want to know more about michael like i didn't see a whole lot about him but a lot of people thought he had something to do with it yeah a lot yeah i, I read that too all this goes down and 12 days later after susan went missing 12 days after susan went missing uh josh moves back in with steve Mind you, Susan and Josh lived in Utah, and Steve lived in Washington. So he moved over a state. <laughs> um, Jennifer was. Oh, yeah. What's I'm that? sorry. No, I was just about to say I can I can believe it, especially knowing how close him and his fucking father is. Oh yeah, well then it makes you even like think about it being weird that like steve was around and stuff while you know what i'm saying like while yeah i definitely get what you're saying so anyway so so jennifer she um she was there the day that he was packing and he was helping him pack 
And she was also like picking through things to give to Susan's family. Um, and she had found like a tote full of her journals and she really wanted to give them to Susan's family. And Josh was like, oh no, absolutely not. And she was kind of like, well, I really think her family would appreciate this. And right. Josh wasn't having it. He's like, no, those are not for you to give away. Another thing, remember when they went to the lawyer and he and her signed some papers saying that if something happened to her, she would, her assets would become his. Right. So he actually that same day um, withdrew money from Susan's retirement fund before they left. Josh really wasn't having a great time because at this point, nobody believed that Josh was innocent in the community in Utah or the community in Washington. Like he got there probably thinking like, oh, people aren't going to know. They're not going to have an opinion. And then he gets there and people are still like, oh, you're a fucker. You know, you killed your wife. Right. We know what you did. Yes. Time goes on. Still no sign of Susan and the police still doesn't have enough evidence to convict anyone. And on August 16th, they start listening to Josh's phone calls. And they're also using the press to pressure him. They, they did this big televised investigation near the campsite where Josh said he was. And they made a, they made a point to use the press to, to make, make it a big deal, um, to kind of pressure Josh and his family. Yes, and that wasn't the only time they used the press. Also, the police and uh, Susan family also held a honking wave near uh, a gas station close by where Josh and the kids were living, which was Steve's house. Um, yeah, at this point, too, I do want to mention that the boys were still under Josh custody when they did the honking wave. And, of course, and uh, I think that I'm pretty sure they did it to, like, see if they can... Wait, no, I don't want to say that part because I really don't. I'm really not sure. Hold on. Sparkles, bitch. Sparkles. So, yeah, around this time, uh, I mean, yeah. So they did this honking wave to, um, like, show support and get the word out that Susan is still missing. Like, you know, and <clears throat> I'm pretty sure they did this to provoke Josh or Steve. And, of course, it worked. Lo and behold, Steve and Josh pulls up with the boys and Steve and Susan's father goes like back and forth. So, uh, Steve is like giving Susan's father a very hard time. And that's when Steve all of a sudden comes out and say he has a bunch of her journals that are proof that his son is innocent. And this is where he fucks up big time. Steve goes on an interview and reads her journals and discloses that they were involved. Josh and Steve pretty much say that Susan was unstable and had affairs all the time. Josh also blames her parents by saying that they put pressure on her to be perfect. And I only like kind of laugh about that because they just seemed like they were really caring, nice parents. Um, right. At this point, Steve and Josh was just reaching for anything to throw salt on her name. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, and then the other thing is he, he also blamed the press and they, he was like, 
the press is just making me out to be some terrible person and they're going to be sorry when Susan turns up. Um, but Jennifer, that's so fucked up to me when, oh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. No, I just think that's so fucked up when, because and I honestly believe that um, he has something to do with it and Steve helped him get rid of the body. But like, that's so fucked up to me when they like get up there and like talk as if they don't know what's going on and they're so innocent knowing damn well that they know exactly what happened. That shit pisses me off. Yeah. 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 Cause it's like, nobody even believes that Susan's coming back at this point. And you, you keep right. saying that, but, but nobody knows anything about where she is and it looks you had a fucking shovel and a saw in your back in your van. Like, what do you mean? Um, but Jennifer gets up there and she's like, you know what? That's not true. If anybody has like mental health problems and is unstable, that would be my father and my brother. Like they're unstable. Again, it's like history repeating itself. Exactly. At this point, uh, the fathers are going back and forth and Steve says that he has these journals and that was all the cops needed to get a warrant. And on August um, 2011, they get a warrant to search uh, Steve's house. And this is where shit gets crazy. Um, trigger warning. Uh, yeah, trigger warning. <laughs> so... Um, the cops found uh, finds tons of videos of Steve recording Susan. Uh, most of them, she's not even aware that he's recording, and he's saying creepy things like "I love you." And I remember one video she had like reached for her leg or like scratched her leg, and he was like, "She's doing that for me on some weirdo type shit." <laughs> and he was and like, like, "Oh, go ahead." I was gonna say like she doesn't even know that she's being recorded. You fucking freak. Yes, but it's for him in his mind, in his widow little ass mind. It's for him. She's doing all of that for him. They also find fucking used tampons, fingernail clippings of Susan's, and like just like a bunch of weird shit that he labeled and dated. I don't know why, but I felt like I needed to say that he labeled <laughs> yeah. and dated fingernail clippings. Like, come on. So and that's not even a. Yes, Bestie, yes. And that's not even the worst uh, that they found in there. Like, they found some animated child porn in uh, on several of his computers. Um, but yeah, they was able to lock him up um, only off the child porn, but he was only sentenced to 10 years in prison, eventually getting out in July of 2017 into a halfway house where he died of a heart attack. And before he died, the cops actually tried to come to like his deathbed to see if they can get a deathbed confession, but they didn't make it there in time. He had already passed. I just, I, I kind of sped up a little bit, but I wanted to put that in there that they really, to like his last breath, they were still trying to find out what the fuck happened to Susan. So with this new evidence, the court decided to have it where Josh can um, still see the boys, but only during supervised visits. Yeah, so they were living with Susan's parents, their grandparents, 
And it was apparent that those boys were being brainwashed while they were with Josh and Steve and whoever else was living in the house. Um, when Charlie got there, one of the first things he asked his grandparents was if the police were going to abuse them now. Which is really yes, sad. that is so fucked up. Even to like coach a child, you know, like you call the police when you're like in need or you to to instill this fear that, that they were going to abuse them. Yeah. So the jo- the Josh, of course, he he told the judge, he said, I don't want my kids to live with Susan's parents. I want them to go to foster care, which is like, fuck you, Josh. Like, you don't give a shit about your kids. None at all. In October 2007, Josh starts asking friends and family to write letters, to write letters of recommendation so that he could get his kids back. And Terry, his mother, even wrote one. And I don't know about you, best friend, but knowing everything that I had seen, I feel like something was weird with that, that Terry wrote a letter. That does sound a little weird. I guess I can understand, like, it's your son, and you feel like maybe he's changed, or... or... Right, and then she was probably, she probably still didn't believe that her son had it in her, in him, to, like, hurt Susan, so maybe she believed, like, he was innocent? I don't know, she's the one that called the cops in the first place. Yeah, but only to say that they were missing. Like, she don't... That's fair. I, I doubt that she will write a letter to give him back knowing that, or even thinking that he had something to do with her disappearing. I I I keep thinking on that. Like, was there foul play? Did he forge the letter? Like, you know, like, it just seems weird that she would write that letter, but... It does. It really does. She wrote one, and then six other people wrote one. Um, I'm sure Steve was in there. Although Steve was in prison. Oh, who knows? Anyways, he was um, he was told that he could not have overnight visits until he moved out of Steve's house. Like, right. kids aren't staying over there. It doesn't matter where Steve is. Um, he gets an apartment and, you know, of course, this whole time they're consulting with, like, psychologists and different types of people and the psychologist is like I would not move forward with overnight visits so supervised visitation is still the all he can get fast forward a little bit again trigger warning because it really starts to get dark (laughs) if it's not dark enough for you it really gets dark now three years after Susan Powell's disappearance in 2012 Josh was scheduled uh, for a supervised visit to see his boys. And normally they meet at a neutral location, but on that day, something happened. Yeah, it was know. like the building was under construction or something. Or the something, power. right? Yeah. Exactly. So the social worker has special permi- uh, permission to supervise at Josh House. And I kind of want you to go a little bit into it, Bestie, because you being a social worker and all, you know a lot more than I do about that. Yes, but I will say that I don't work with kids. I especially don't work in child protective services. Screw that. This is that shit. This is why I could not, my heart couldn't handle it. But yeah. yes, 
um, so social workers, according, I'm assuming this is according to Utah state. I don't know if this changes state to state or if it's just overall, but social workers are not legally required to consult with law enforcement. Although I will say in my work, we do a lot um, if somebody's involved with the criminal justice system. I don't see why you wouldn't if you were dealing with kids. Right, um, especially with kids. <laughs> yes, like he is under investigation for murdering these children's parents, her, their mother. So I feel like, you know, you might want to call the cops and say, hey, do you think it's cool if I do this visit at Josh's house? Yeah, I totally agree. My point being, she didn't do anything that was she was legally supposed to or whatever. She just, she got special permission. And, and I think I told you this earlier. I can imagine if she, she had been supervising all the visits and they were always in this neutral location that they would, she probably, people said he was a good dad. Like maybe he just seemed like pretty okay, good at these visitations. So she was kind of like, you know, this might not be a bad thing if I, if I, take him to his house like he seems like a nice guy you know yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> i know because it's like it's getting dark and i'm like dreading it <laughs> um so yeah when the um social worker brings the boys to josh's house um she said that she was like one step in front of the boys and as soon as the boys got in the house josh slams the door in her face um, she then hears Josh tell Charlie he has a surprise for him, and then soon after she hears Braden cries, and then she makes the first nine one one call. And I want to say, Bestie, you have this nine one one call. Yeah, bet I fucking do. Yes, with the worst fucking operator, nine one one operator, one of the worst that I've ever heard. It pisses me off just listening to it. So we're gonna um yeah, let's play this uh nine one one call. So everybody else would be just as frustrated as we were when we first heard it. <laughs> I've we've listened to it a couple times and it's like every time you hear it, you're just more pissed off. Every time. Hey, I want a supervised visitation for a court ordered visit. And something really weird has happened. The kids went into the house and the parent, the biological parent, whose name is Josh Powell, will not let me in the door. What should I do? What's the address? It's 8119, and I, I think it's 89. Um, I, I don't know what the address is. It's pretty important for me to know. I'm um, sorry, I can't. Just a minute. Let me get in my car and see if I can, if I can find it. I'm just... trying to tell him like this is scary
choke the fuck out of this guy yes oh my god i want the entire time i want it to be like just shut up she's trying to tell you she smells gas he closed the door on her and he's like well before we do any of that who's supervising you like what what does that have to like even if even if her supervisor was standing right there beside her why why does it matter yeah i need you here to help these kids that's that's number one yes come come just come i've given you the address ditch dispatch the police there's gasoline well, well, the children are crying well whose house is it who's supervising you so you're supervising yourself what come on all of this time all of this time wasted. Yes. All right, I'm going to... supervise myself. I'm the supervisor for the supervised visit. Okay, well, aren't you the one, make, aren't you the one making the visit? Or is there another person that is your supervisor? No. I'm the one that supervises. I pick up the kids with their grandparents. Yes. And then who visits with the children? Oh, my God. Josh Powell. Okay, so you're supposed to be there to supervise Josh Powell's visit. just keep thinking all of this time wasted oh my god pal Okay, has he threatened the lives of the children previously? I have no idea. 
on the person available at the deputy contact you. Thank you. Bye. Just in case y'all didn't hear that, he told her basically that this is not an emergency. They will get to you when they get a chance. Yep. So fucked up. He legit, like, and he said it with an attitude, too, like, they got to handle emergencies first. And they'll get to you when they get a chance. Yes. Like, uh, like, I'm telling you that this is an emergency. So, like, get it together. No, he, he cares more about who's supervising her, what color is the car. Motherfucker, get out here and you will see it yourself. You, will, you wouldn't even, you know? My God. Okay. So, so I'm sorry. It kind of it kind of pissed me off. I was still a little mad. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. I'm mad too. Every time I listen to it, I'm just so mad. Like you did not have to be such a dick. Like on any day, it doesn't matter. But like also, she's a stop it. I'm being attacked. Um, she's a. Uh, she's a professional this is her job she's a social worker and let me tell you as a social worker like you get in crazy i you get into some very uncomfortable and sometimes dangerous conditions all the time as a social worker and uh, you don't call the police every time it happens you gotta handle it because that's part of your job description and right like so so for a social worker to be calling you and saying oh my gosh this thing just happened I, I think you need to send the police as soon as possible you just listen to what she's saying she's not just some stupid woman she does this every day sorry sorry that was me defending the social workers no you good you better stand up for your social your fellow social workers yes so yeah at the that call she soon calls back um because she smells gas but by then it's too late she is then pushed back by an explosion of fire that consumes the house yeah. and this is where she makes her second 911 call when, and yeah. are we able to did we were we able to get this one too yeah, this one, I don't think the audio is as good, but if you if you're having trouble hearing it, we're gonna recap it. Um right. but I think it's really important because at this point, like Ryan said, like the house has exploded. So she's calling back now. this point i'm pretty sure that the 911 operators was getting a lot of calls because the first thing she says was are you calling about the fire at you know and she's like yeah and then she's as the operator also asks her if like is are there people in the house and she tells them that yes yeah, a guy in the house with two kids yeah and i think Am it's I important to note like the dispatcher the difference because like 
some people will argue like as a 911 dispatcher you get people calling you in a panic all the time but like this woman she she remains calm and like direct with her but she she isn't a fucking asshole <laughs> yes <laughs> you know like it, it, there's ways to do it you know yeah oh. so yeah um also want to say like later they found that uh, um well later they found uh <laughs> later they found that Josh uh, tried to kill his own boys with a hatchet by hitting them in the back of their head. And, um, but both of the boys survived the first hit and died from carbon monoxide poisoning. So they was, they were still alive like during that fire. They, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, and he tried to like, he literally hit his boys with a hatchet. Oh, yeah. that's insane to think that he like, yeah, little boys. They were what did they say? Five, seven and five at yep. the time. Yep. Like <sighs> those babies. They were babies. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, yeah. I um, I'm at a loss of words right now. It's it's so messed up. Yeah. And like that, so the moral of the story is like there was really no justice served, and it ended in the most horrific way possible. Yes, um, we still still have no answers about Susan. Where you know what happened to her? Yeah, like give at least like her her body some rest, like some closure, like. Exactly. Her family never gets closure. Yeah. You know, it, pretty much everybody's decided or, or assumed that she's dead. It's just a matter of you doing the right thing. Right. Whew. Well, from the beginning, we did tell you guys that this was a doozy. What do you think about the social worker? Okay. I don't think it was anything that she really could have done differently she was she had permission to go to his house it's his kids so she went in the thought like oh he's gonna not let me in you know what i'm saying or he's gonna harm his kids so no i I don't think that she did anything wrong yeah i i feel kind of the same way like i feel like she who would have ever in a million years thought that that was going to happen if she did the visitations at his house like nobody would think that exactly well i i said this during our practice round and i wanted to say it again but i think we learned our biggest challenge in the podcast is that we are always going to end our stories badly and we I know, know most of them is most of them will have like a <laughs> a bleak ending <laughs> but it is true crime so thank you <laughs> yeah, yes i guess that's how we're ending it yeah thanks for listening and the support we fuck with y'all we hope y'all fuck with us motherfuckers and uh <laughs> motherfuckers and nicole 
please give them um, ways to get in contact with us. Yeah, so if you want to keep up with whatever's going on, get to know us through the social medias. You can follow us on Twitter at Are We In Hell 2 because one was already taken and fuck them. Um, Instagram at Are We In Hell. You can join our Facebook group at Are We In Hell. <laughs> or if you want to send us an email, send us an email at Are We In Hell at gmail.com yes. and let us know what you think. Give us your feedback. Please. And let us know what you want to hear. If you got any cases that you might yes. want to throw our way that you want to hear us cover, please hit our email up. We keep them all. Yeah. And like, we're just picking shit out of the air right now. And so we are happy to get some suggestions. We are. We are horny for it. No, no, no. <laughs> Give it to us. <laughs> Give it. Um. One last thing before we get off of here, Bestie. Do we want to give a little sneak peek into next episode? Hell yeah, why not? Do you want to give the fuckers what they want? Yes. (laughs) So our next episode, and a lot of y'all might not even hear uh, have heard about it because um uh, it was fairly new to me, but um we're giving y'all the spooks with the um black eyed kids coming next episode. Yes, and if you haven't heard of the... I, I don't know about you, Ryan, but the first time I heard about the Black Eyed Kids... No, no, I definitely... I can't wait to dig into this one because, yeah, I'm ready for this one. <laughs> oh, this the our first fucking episode, bitch. Hell yeah. Two, three.